Last two weeks, we've done the first two-thirds of the parable of the prodigal son. We looked at the younger brother. We looked at the father, and this week we'll finish up with the older brother. But first, as I was preparing the sermon, I was reminded of an interview I saw on television not too long ago. It was of a pedophile and murderer who was in prison. And he asked the reporter to come in to interview him. And the reporter, one of the first questions was, why did you want me to interview you? And he said, because I wanted to let people know I'm really not a bad guy. Now, you and I, who aren't pedophiles or murderers, would kind of think the guy was a little bit off base in his thought. If you have a pedophile and a murderer isn't a bad guy, I don't know what is. But we have something in common with that guy. We have, as God says throughout Scripture, and perhaps most clearly in, through Jeremiah, we have a wicked and deceitful heart inside of us, which makes it difficult for us to see who we really are before God. And that's what we're going to speak about today. It's going to be very uplifting. I'm going to tell you you're wicked, deceitful, good for nothing, rotten sinners. You will leave here feeling miserable about yourself and come back next week. Good deal? Should we just stop there? Guys, we've got to wake up. This is going to be one of these sermons where I'm going to need to engage you because we're going to dabble in gray areas. So make sure you're awake. Let me start out with this. Remember last week I made a comment. Kind of threw it out there, seeing if anybody would bite on it. Make sure if I say something that sounds heretical, you push back. Otherwise, I will go off on this trail. I'm kidding. But if you hear something that doesn't sound right, say something. Last week I made the comment that as a Christian, you can do whatever you want to do. You Anything you want to do. Remember I said if you don't want to go to church, if you don't want to tithe, if you want to go beat up paralyzed homeless people and steal their money, as a Christian, you can actually do it. Do you remember that comment? Now somebody should have said, huh, right? Does that sound right? The point I was trying to make was that as a Christian, you're saved by grace through faith and not by works, so that no one can boast. Meaning, if in a right relationship with God, there is nothing you are going to do to make God love you more, to get in a right standing with God or a better standing with God, it is done through the blood of Christ. However, let me, let me conclude that comment with a comment this week, which leans into this. As a Christian, you have freedom to do absolutely anything you want. But as a, as a Christian, there will be certain things that you will flat out do. Seem to be contradictory there? You can do whatever you want, but you've got to do these types of things. This is what we're going to get to the heart of today. We started this parable with a, with a younger son who walked up to his dad and said, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. I want it now for me. Give me my third. My dad says, okay, gives him the third. He liquidates it for pennies on the dollar. He takes that. He goes to a Gentile land, becomes ceremonially unclean, and, and he's living the high life. He is, he's doing what you shouldn't be doing. I don't know exactly what he did. It doesn't tell us, but I imagine that he went to the, uh, the Near Eastern version of Vegas. And he, he lived crazy. He, he, was, he was a high roller. You know, he, he got the suite in the, uh, in the Taj Mahal. He, he had all sorts of ladies he was, he was bringing around him of, of perhaps not the highest repute and men of the same nature. And before he knew it, he, he ran out of money. A famine came upon the land. He got real hungry. And he ended up working for a, a Jewish kid, working for a pig farmer, tending the pig, sitting in the pig poop, wishing he could just eat the pig's food. He realized when he came to himself, he has to go home to his daddy's house. He's going to beg his daddy to let him be a hired servant, just, just, just so he could survive. And he goes home, and remember when he got close to the, to the home, his dad saw him, his dad was looking for him, and his dad ran out. 
Men didn't run in public. His dad ran out and embraced this poop-covered son of his and reconciled and restored him into a right relationship when he put the ring on his finger, the robe on his body, and the shoes on his feet. We talked about what those were last week. He said, get the fat calf, get the Kobe beef, and let's eat. 500 pounds of beef were, were cooking up. There's a party going on. The music is blaring. The dancers are dancing. The people come into town. And the daddy is having a celebration because he is so happy that his son who was lost has been found, who was dead is alive, who was blind can now see. So the daddy calls a party because he is so happy. It'd be great if, if Jesus just stopped the parable there, wouldn't it? I mean, isn't that a great story? The son came home. There's a party going on. Kobe beef, dancers, music, everybody's happy, the end. I like that better. But fortunately for you, and fortunately for me, I'm not God. And God continued on this story. He says here in verse 25, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead, and is alive. He was lost, and is found. This parable was spoken primarily, at the time, it left Jesus' mouth directly, to, fr to fri fribes and squaracies. These are new people you've not met in the Bible. <laughs> That's the Elmer Fudd translation, which I'm going to... The five of Pharisees were hunting rabbit. The, the scribes and Pharisees. These were the older brothers. This is the culmination of where the parable was going. These were legalists. These were people who knew God, who Jesus is saying, you know about him, but you don't know him intimately. You're not in a relationship with him. And, and in this text, I, I, whoo, I see three warnings that apply directly to us. And I'm going to share these with you, and these are not things that I am uh, particularly happy to have to share. I don't like them for myself. These are uh, areas I wish that uh, God didn't necessarily work in the depths of our heart, but it could be superficial that we could go legalistic, just do, 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 and you're good, good, good. But that's not how God works. God is not about the outside, God is about the inside. I remember he picked a king, a little shepherd boy, who had some brothers that looked like kings. You remember that story? When, when Samuel went to, to Jesse, we're picking a king, Jesse, bring him in. The oldest son, big, hulking young lad. He probably was you know, bench-pressing oxen. Samuel, here's the king. Comes forward, God says, not the king. They keep coming, and all of a sudden, they got one left. Oh, we forgot about the little scraggly kid tending the sheep. There's your king. God cares about what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus is speaking to a group of people he called whitewashed tombs about the inside of the cup. And us, folks, we have deceitful hearts just like those whitewashed tombs. 
And sometimes we could easily be more concerned about the outside of the cup than what's on the inside. Warning one. Why do you obey God? Do you really love God? Let, let me throw that out to you. Why do you obey God? Because he knows more than we do? Because we love him? You ever go with it? Because you have to. You know, like in my house, I tell my kids to do something. And I say, you have a choice. You can do it, or you can be thoroughly beaten. I don't say that. I say, you can do it, or you could not do it, but if you don't obey me, it's not going to go well for you. It's not like I say, go clean your room. Oh, yay! Let's clean our room! You know, there, there's, it's a question that we need to think about. Why do we obey God? Here's a son, older son. From an outsider's perspective, this is the perfect son. He obeys his father to a T. He has faithfully served him all these years. He has never publicly embarrassed him. He's never disgraced him. He's never publicly embarrassed or disgraced himself. He's done everything he's been told to do for all these years. This is the original. Remember Wally Cleaver? This is the perfect son. Every Jewish mother, oh, I wish my son could be like the older son. He's such a great young boy. But deep down, this kid was just like, if not worse than, his younger brother. You know why? He didn't serve the father out of love and gratitude. He served the father to get what he wanted for personal gain. At least the younger son said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my third. The older son put a smile on his face. And behind that smile, he said, Oh, dude, I can't wait till Daddy dies. Two-thirds of this stuff is mine. I'm going to go through the motions because I don't want to risk my inheritance. But I'm just doing it for the stuff I get. I don't love the guy. I don't love my brother. I want the stuff. I want the inheritance. I'll put in my time until I get what I want. But man, I just wish he was dead already. You don't read that there, but bear with me. I'll show it to you as we go through this. Here comes the gray area. You ready? Do you serve God? Do you obey God out of love and gratitude? Or do you do it to try to get what you want? Do you do it to try to maneuver the levers of heaven to manipulate God to give you what you want? Take it to an extreme. God, listen. If you will make my business successful and increase it 20-fold, I will go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life. You know? Beep, beep. God answers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? How do you know? It's a difficult question to answer, isn't it? Do you do it out of personal self-interest or out of love and gratitude for God? As you stop and think about it, I ask a question. You, you all are here today. Why are you here? Well, different answers at different ages, perhaps. Maybe you got dragged to church. You know, may, maybe, maybe if you're uh, still under the age of 18 or, or 21, you woke up this morning, and you heard, let's go, come on, get up, go to church, uh, and you got dragged to church. Maybe you were the older one doing the get up, but you can't verbalize it out loud, and you're like, darn it, I got to get up, I got to get the whole family to church. I'm not saying this happens. This is hypothetical. I know you people all skipped into church. How many people, don't show your hands, how many people woke up this morning and said, God, first thing out of your mind, God, I am so excited. I get 
to worship you with my church family today. I get to go and sing songs of praise to you. I get to go hear your word preached. I get to have fellowship with other people who love you. I get to become better equipped to go out into the world and serve you more faithfully. Thank you, God, for taking a kid out of the pig poop like me and inviting me into your family as a child of God who is obeying you out of love and gratitude and coming to worship you today with my all. The answer, realistically, folks, somewhere in the middle. Yeah? We need to be careful with why we do what we do. Because we might pull the wool over other people's eyes. We might pull the wool over our own eyes. But you ain't going to pull the wool over God's eyes. The Pharisees and scribes, Jesus said, would, would go to the difficulty of, speaking figuratively, uh, of siphoning out a gnat to maintain purity. But they neglected so much of what God wanted from them. We need to be careful, folks, to not go legalistic. Do you have to go to church on Sunday? No. Yeah. Huh? That doesn't make sense. You can't just go, well, I'll do it when I feel love and gratitude. I know God says share my faith. I'm just not feeling it today. Maybe tomorrow. No, that's not what this is saying. But it's saying understand who the younger son really was. Understand who was crazy who ran away, who squandered an inheritance, who sat in a pig poop, who daddy came home. You need to be daily reminded of this because you easily forget it. I'll easily forget it. We're all human. We have deceptive hearts. But as we realize where we were and to where we have come, service to God becomes very different. He goes from being the dictatorial, scary, I will beat you up bad for all of eternity God. Heaven or hell, what do you want? Do what I say. To the real God who's saying, I want to live in an eternal relationship with you. I want to care for you perfectly. I have made you for a specific purpose that I can show you, that I can equip you for, that I can put you in. Will you trust me and let me guide you? Because life will be better than you can ever fathom if you do, and I will make it so you can do this. The more fully you understand that, the more fully you will be unable to do what God wants you to do, what God commands you to do. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. He doesn't say, if you obey my commandments, you show me you love me. No, it's vice versa. And we love him because he first loved us. So we have an older son who is doing everything. We dabble in a gray area here, folks. Because God gives us commandments, and at times our motivation is not going to be to do his commandment. Okay? But we need to fall, we need to examine our hearts and say, God, please convict me. Am I doing this out of a desire for personal gain? Or am I doing this out of love and gratitude for a holy, perfect, heavenly Father who sent his very own son to die for me so that I could call him daddy, so that I could call him friend, so that I could live forever in relationship with him? And let him show you. And then when you find areas you are obeying God out of personal gain, fall before him in repentance. God, I am so sorry. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Fun little exercise to think about sometimes. When you get to heaven, you can literally do whatever you want. No rules. No regulations. Nobody gets kicked out. No one has ever been expelled from heaven. Oh, Abraham, this is too much. You've worn me out over these last 3,000 years. Get out. No one ever gets kicked out. But you know what happens when you get to heaven? All you want to do is what daddy wants you to do. Do you think Jesus, when he lived on this earth, was struggling in a sense of, oh, I'm just thinking worn out. I don't want to go talk to these fools anymore. I want to just go on a boat ride and relax and go fishing with my friends. Jesus 
wanted to fully obey the Father. It doesn't mean it was easy all the time. Take this cup from me, he said at some point. No. But he finished it, but not my will, yours. That's the attitude we grow into as we mature in our faith. But it begins by identifying and answering the question, why do you obey God and do you really love God? The older son did not love his father. He was trying to manipulate for personal gain. You'll see why I can say that in a minute. Warning number two. First we talk about, do you love the father? Well, do you love your brother? One of the reasons that we're here is to love our brothers. The older brother did not love his younger brother. Why do I say that? When the younger brother walked up to the father and said, for all intents and purposes, I wish you were dead, give me my inheritance. Do you know what I don't read in this passage? The older brother who came alongside his younger brother and said, what's wrong with you? Get your act together. You crazy? When the younger brother squandered his inheritance for pennies on the dollar, you know what I don't see in here? An older brother come alongside and say, hey, hey, stop. You're ruining your life. You're going to make dad miserable. You're not thinking straight. Stop. When the younger brother ran away and the father was mourning and looking for the younger brother to return, you know what I don't see? I don't see an older brother standing by his father, mourning with him and looking with him and comforting his father and being comforted by his father. He simply didn't care. And when the younger brother comes home, guess who's not there? The whole town knows the younger brother came home. The father's throwing a party. They killed the fattened calf. But look, when we get to verse 25, his older son was in the field. Do you know, culturally speaking, who's supposed to throw the party? Who's supposed to logistically pull it off and, and make it all happen? It's the older son. The dad was picking up and carrying the weight of the older son because he was neglecting his responsibility because he flat hated his younger brother. Can I ask you a question? Say yes. Thank you. If you were the older brother, everybody, anyone here have younger siblings? Let's say you're the older brother, older sister, and you got a crazy younger sibling, okay? And, and they just blew a third of the family estate, okay? I mean, they just stinking blew it. And they come home, and your dad doesn't throw the beat down on them. Your dad's like, come on in. And he has a party for them, and he gives them all the, the ring, and he's saying basically, you know that two-third that's for your older brother? Mm, it's all yours. And there's a big party going on, and, he, and you've done nothing wrong. You never ran. You never wasted the money. You never embarrassed your daddy. And he's having a party for your crazy brother. How do you feel at this point? Are you dancing at the party? Or is there a party you go, what the heck? Come on. Do you, do you see what I did for all these years? And this cat comes back after living with the prostitutes and doing all the crazy stuff. And Dad, seriously? You're giving him the signet ring? Come on, man. Could you see that happening? You know the question people sometimes say, I cannot believe in Jesus. Why? Well, here's the question. If somebody's on their deathbed, and the last minute they say to God, I accept Jesus, they get to go to heaven? They get to screw up their whole life, and the very last minute if they accept God, they get to go to heaven? I can't believe that. Oh, good. Yeah, that's my response. Good. I really don't know what to say to you. Because, it's not exactly what I say. Because if you understand who you are and what Christ did, the issue isn't, 
Well, why did they, why did they get in? They got to go 85, 95 years living crazy, and at the last minute, they come home and you let them in? Oh, yeah. You should be grateful that you got to spend 95 obeying your father and serving him out of love and gratitude. They missed that. But do you see what happens? But God, I did this, 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 and this, and you didn't get, wait a minute, are we serving God out of love and gratitude, or are we trying to manipulate the levers of heaven? Do you love your brother? Now, I'd like to think, I have a younger sister, if she went crazy and squandered the family estate, which I'm fearful in this economy is not much anymore, but let's cover that up. If she squandered the family estate, and then my mom and dad welcomed her back and then gave her what was rightfully mine as the older son, I need to have a talk with my parents about the two-third, one-third split. Actually, with a sister, it should all go to me. We'll talk. They're Jewish. We'll talk about that. But, but if, I, if that happened, I'd like to think that I would be excited she was welcome back to the family. But I'm fearful there's a part of me going, she doesn't deserve it. I deserve it. And I miss the point when it comes to my relationship with God. But let's put that in practice spiritually. Do you love your brother? Who's your brother? We live in a time and in a place where there are many people who have gone and squandered their inheritance for pennies on the dollars. No, we call them non-believers. They live in pig poop. And what does Jesus tell us to do? Go and make disciples. He tells us to go out into the world and proclaim the good news. So let me ask you a question. Do you love your younger brother? Who's your younger brother? Younger brother in the faith or younger brother who hasn't come to faith? Do you care about the people you know who are living in pig poop? Do you try to talk sense into your crazy, insane younger brother? Who, who tells daddy... I wish you were dead. Who squanders his inheritance or her inheritance for pennies on the dollar? Do you see where I'm going here? Do you stand and watch, hopefully and anticipatorily, for them to come home? Do you pray, Father God, would you open their eyes to the truth? Would you, would you give me opportunities? Are you equipping yourself to share the gospel with them through both word and deed? Or are you busy working for personal gain? I put two extremes, and I'm afraid, folks, we haven't all found the sweet spot yet. Let me make this clear. We're all works in progress. You can't do it perfect yet. But we've got to be working towards it. I don't know where you live. I don't know who's in your family. But in mine, I have a couple crazy younger brothers using the, the parable. Matter of fact, I am surrounded by crazy younger brothers who come in all shapes and sizes and ages and, and levels of wisdom. I'm afraid, I must admit, there are times when I don't particularly love my younger brother. It doesn't mean I don't like him. It doesn't mean I don't hang out with him. It doesn't mean I don't talk to him. It means that sometimes I'm a little more concerned about promoting my personal agenda than serving my father out of love and gratitude. You see, I don't want to mess things up a little bit. There are times when, when perhaps I am a little bit concerned with trying to win the approval of others as opposed to trying to please God. But what we all need to be careful for, and how this happens and what it looks like, folks, this is another thing where you need to fall before the Father and say, God, I can't see this clearly. I need you to give me the vision. Am I like the older son who's displeasing to you, who cannot stand his younger brother, who refers to him as your son? Or do I have a heart like your heart, Father? Do I, do I desire for the younger brother to come home? Am I allowing me, you to use me in the process? Am I be, being equipped and prepared? Or am I living for myself? What does that look like? I can't give you a black and white answer. 
But I think we need to look at all the relationships we have, especially with people who are not Christians, and ask ourselves, are we truly loving them? Or are we manipulating a relationship for our own selfish purposes? Last thing, last warning. Do you find, this is this one I hate, do you find joy where God finds joy? So the daddy's having a party. Dead calf, music going, dancers there. And his son doesn't come in. Verse 27, he said to him, Your brother has come, the servant, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Now, I love what the father does here. But his father went out and entreated him. You know what the word entreated means? It means he begged him. Please, son, please, please, won't you come and celebrate with me? He's begging him to come in and, and be part of the celebration. What the father found joy in and pleasure in, the older brother became angry about. When the daddy celebrated, the younger brother grieved. That's not right. We need to ask ourselves, do we find joy where God finds joy? Now, I think sometimes we can go into the self-martyr approach to this. Well, here's what God finds fun. You stay in your house and read your Bible for at least 18 hours a day. You only sleep two because you want to feel rather lethargic, so you feel like you're doing something for God. Don't make any friends. There will be no laughing or fun. You may not ever look at a television, a computer. You may only have a cell phone with one call a week. And it has to be an awkward phone to hold. You must drop a lot of calls. And I want you to just eat the most basic food. Ramen noodles. It's like the manna of present-day America. And water. That's it. And if you do that, you will have the joy that your father wants you to have. Right? And then we go out to the world. Hey, do you want to eat ramen noodles and drink water with me? I don't watch any TV. I don't ever laugh. I don't watch movies. I don't read books. All I do is read the Bible. Don't you want to join me, huh? And people are like, uh, no. <laughs> do you know Jesus, I, I hate to break this to you, Jesus laughed when he lived on this earth. Says he cried, but I guarantee you the dude had a contagious laugh. I mean like tears busting out of your eye, belly quaking, keeling over, grabbing your sides. If you want to know a guy who could laugh, go hang out with Jesus. God is the most joyful being ever. Doesn't mean God doesn't mourn. Doesn't mean that things don't grieve God. But God is the most joyful being ever, whoever will be. And he wants you to have that joy too. Now the opposite extreme of the ramen noodles and the, and the no, no fun nothing is to go crazy. Well, God just wants me to have fun, so I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want. God will forgive me. I'll just go crazy. I'll do what the world does. I'll have a great time. I'll spend all my money. I'll buy all my stuff. And you just go crazy. And you entertain yourself till you're numb. Go look up what the word entertain means, what the root of the word is, and you'll scare yourself if you do that. But you'll numb your mind so much that you don't think about anything, and you just coast through life in the mass of, of goats who don't even know where they're going, who are living crazy like the younger son. Then we get to the middle ground, and we start to ask these difficult questions. Am I finding joy where God finds joy? And folks, this isn't always a fun process. But as we mature in our faith, we begin to enjoy what God enjoys. We begin to desire what God desires. We begin to be, what's the other word here, passionate about what God is passionate about. When I was about seven or eight years old, my dad used to have a drink every night of some nasty something. I think it was whiskey or uh, vermouth and vodka, martini. And 
I remember one night he let me have a sip. And oh my Lord, it felt like a dragon breathed in my mouth and then smacked me with his tail. It was, it burned I, so horribly. And I remember saying to my dad, why would you do this to yourself? And he said, it's an acquired taste. Okay, kind of one of those you might not want to acquire. I don't know, I don't know how you get into that, but <clears throat> he said it was an acquired taste. And I understand what he means. Over time, it, begins to ha- it began to have an appeal to him. God's taste, the things that God enjoys the taste of, aren't necessarily appealing to us. I've seen people eat snails. I think that's an acquired taste, too. I don't want to eat snails. But maybe if you eat a lot of snails, you begin to like snails, and you begin to see that snails aren't bad. Well, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. What we need to do, folks, is when we see what God is feasting on, what God is enjoying, what God has a taste for, we need to take a bite. And the first time, it may feel a little gritty, may go down a little rough, but trust Him. Because little by little, you'll acquire the taste for the things of God. And you'll see the cheap substitute you had in its place in the past. And you'll replace it with what you were made for. And here's the hard thing. It's hard to identify, and it's not the same for each and every one of us. For myself, one example was, I used to love comedy. I mean, good old, bust-up-your-side, inappropriate comedy. I watched this thing called The Kings of Comedy. Anybody ever seen that? You're all going to hell if you watched it anyway, so I'm kidding. (laughs) It was incredibly inappropriate, but I had an asthma attack, and I don't have asthma. We were... (laughs) This was in seminary. This was the, this was the influence I brought to, to my seminary friends. Jeremy and Gretchen were the couple. And, and I said, hey, let's watch Kings of Comedy. It sounds funny. Okay. Okay. The four of us are cracking up. I am laying on the floor, literally pausing this thing because I'm wheezing. <clears throat> like I was, it was horrible. It was so funny, I was wheezing. Okay. I could have watched it every day. It was the funniest thing ever. Well, do you know there's like this incredible lack of really funny Christian comedians? There, there's just no like Christian version of, of Bernie Mac. I'm not, I'm not commenting on Bernie Mac's faith, but I'm talking about the cleanliness of his routine. There, there is not the biblical Bernie Mac out there. So I'm like, God, I really like these comedians. I like going to a comedy club. I like having a good laugh. But for some reason, I understand I am not saying a Christian person cannot watch Kings of Comedy or a Christian person cannot go to a comedy club. Not the least of what I'm saying. Do not misunderstand me. What I'm saying is, as I'm trying to be attentive to what God is saying to me, I felt like it was not something Jesus would be sitting on the couch with me, busting up laughing along with me, but rather perhaps looking at me a little bit sad. Okay? And it struck me as, okay, so I feel like, God, you're, you're giving me a choice. I can laugh at this stuff or I can trust that you have something I'll find far more joyful to spend my time with. And it was tough because I liked that stuff, but, but I gave it up not to try to manipulate the levers of heaven. God, fine, I'll stop watching this, but you know well better come up with some good programming quick because I need something to laugh at. This is dull out here. You all haven't been through seminary necessarily. There aren't a lot of really funny people in seminary. <laughs> I needed something to laugh at. But I, I felt, alright. So I gave it up. Do you know, if I try to watch that now, I don't have the asthma attack. It's not that my life has been ruined. It's just not that funny to me anymore. It's just not. But I can sure laugh. 
Renee can attest to a Bible study when I about ruined the whole thing, laughing outside, almost dry heaving. I don't remember what it was. It was just, you can laugh at Bible study. Maybe it was just videotape Bible studies with, with Renee's cake. Folks, what I'm saying is this. We need to ask ourselves, where do you find joy and fall before the Father and say, God, I would like you to tell me if this is pleasing to you. Let him tell you. Don't try to figure it out on your own, because I don't want you eating ramen noodles, bored out of your mind, doing nothing but sleeping two hours and reading the Bible 19 hours a day. There's still more hours in there, isn't it? What I want you to do is to have the joy the Father wants you to have, to have the passion that he wants you to have, to get excited about what he gets excited about, because when you do, you begin to live like you were made for. Not like the older brother who's there, he says, we're having a party, and he says, I don't want to go. When God says we're having a party, we should be running because if Daddy is celebrating, we should be celebrating too because He knows what He's celebrating. We need to think about where we find joy, what excites us, what we're passionate about, and allow God to convict us as if, it, if it's glorifying to Him. Or we should trust Him enough to, 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 to believe that He knows what He's doing. And He'll replace the cheap substitute with something far more wonderful than we can ever fathom. Now, folks, we should be living in a world that enjoys entertainment and show them what true joy is. We should be living in a world that's trying to, to numb itself from the reality, living in the reality joyfully and excitedly and passionately. This is what begins to attract people to Christ. Not going out and saying, I don't do anything fun, I've given everything up in the name of Jesus, and all I'm going to do is tell you that you're going to hell unless you turn. We need to get out there and we need to tell them, I love you. I love you because my Father loves you and He sent me out to talk to you. The wording can change and should change drastically. But we need to think, are we serving God to manipulate the levers or are we serving God out of love and gratitude, realizing who we were, where we came from and to where we've been brought? We need to ask ourselves, do we really love our brothers? That's why we're here in large part, to love God and to love one another. Jesus could have yanked us up to heaven right when we came to faith, but he didn't. He gives us a lot of different things to do, one of which is to go out and proclaim the good news to a lost world. And if we love him, we're going to do it in his way, in his timing, prayerfully leaning on him and trusting on him and following him. But we're going to do it and we're going to care about those people. And we're going to find joy where he finds joy. Look at what Jesus did through his ministry. How many people, remember, remember we used to do walkabouts? We used to knock on the doors, and you know that feeling most people get, oh my gosh, please don't be home, please don't be home, hang the door, go, 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 run, 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 don't look back. How do you think Jesus would have approached a house if he did it that way? Can you see Jesus? That one looks dark. No! He would walk up, he would be excited. You know why? Because he loves the person in that house. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And when they open the door, he would be excited to see them, and they might not very well like him, but he's going to let them know somehow that he loves them. The relationships he has with people, you know what he's doing? He's trying to let them know how much his father loves them. He's trying to invite them to a celebration. Paul says he became all things to all men that some might be saved. Folks, I guarantee you, Paul was not a miserably bored guy. Ugh, 
God, this life stinks. I'm sailing everywhere, getting beaten up. Keep telling people about Jesus. When do I get to die? This just stinks. No! He was excited. He had been entrusted with the most precious message possible. And God sent him out to proclaim it. And I guarantee you, he is living the high life right now. It's where we're going. But for a time, we stay here. For a time, we're being prepared. For a time, we're going out and proclaiming. And guys, we've got to look at these three warnings. But it starts with this. You and I were younger brothers who told our daddy we wished he was dead. We spat in God's face. We squandered our inheritance for pennies on the dollar. We went about in reckless, insane living. And we found ourselves one day having our eyes open through this miraculous process called regeneration. John 3 talks about it. We came to faith. We came home to daddy. Daddy ran out and reconciled us to himself. He forgave us completely. He robed us and ringed us and shooed us. And the more fully we understand that, it doesn't mean we live perfectly. I guarantee you if this was a a real story of real people, the younger brother would still mess up. He would still make bad choices. But he would fall before his father and perfect love would have cast out fear. And he would say, Daddy, I am sorry that I grieved you. Will you help me not do it again? And the father would help him and say, Of course, son, I love you. And as we realize that's who we are, we stand with Daddy on the hill and we look out. We look for the people coming in or we look where Daddy's telling us to go and we go and proclaim the wonderful gift we have been entrusted with. And as we do, we heed the three warnings that Jesus spoke to the, to the scribes and the Pharisees, which are spoken to us as well. First and foremost, why do you obey God? If you're obeying Him for the wrong reasons, fall before Him and say, God, give me the right heart. Help me obey you for the right reasons. Help me see you for who you are and understand why you call me to do what I do and do it and see what happens. Second warning is, do you love your younger brother? Well, look at the relationships God has sovereignly entrusted to you. You do understand there is no such thing as coincidence or chance in the economy of God. God is not going, huh, I didn't know they'd end up living there. This might work well for me. God knows everything. The relationships you have are sovereignly allowed and orchestrated for a perfect purpose. What is that purpose? I don't know. I don't know that that your whole neighborhood is going to come to Christ through you or your whole family at Thanksgiving is going to say, oh my gosh, weirdest thing happened. We had a dream and we were supposed to ask you about Jesus. Maybe it does. But God has a perfect purpose. Wouldn't you like to see God work through you? Wouldn't you like to see younger brothers have their eyes open and come home? Wouldn't it be cool to be used in the process? Guess why we're here in part. But it starts with loving them like God loves them. And lastly, run the test of joy. This one, at least for me, is the most difficult. Because sometimes it means giving things up. But they're always replaced with something far more wonderful. Don't do it with a, with a, a self-martyr mentality. Don't try to make yourself miserable. Don't stop laughing. Don't stop having fun. But, but laugh at what God would laugh at. Enjoy what God would enjoy. Be passionate about God. what God would be passionate about. And watch how much more wonderful it is. You understand the world offers a cheap substitute for joy. Jesus said, I came that your joy may be full. I came to give you abundant life. He knows what he's talking about. If you want to have a great laugh, if you want to really celebrate, watch how you feel when you see the father bring a younger brother home through you. It's contagious. You can't stop. You keep going, not because you think, wow, look at what I did, but because you know daddy is having a party. 
and you're invited to the party. And there's a great banquet one day down the road. So, as we finish up the parable of the prodigal son, this is easily my, my favorite parable, at least for this, this week. Next week it'll change. How cool is it that this younger brother spat in the face of his dad and his dad forgave him completely and even elevated his position? How cool, how undeserving, how unmerited. What a perfect example of being saved by grace through faith and not by works. How cool is it that daddy wanted to have a party because he cared so much about this kid. He loved him so much that when he came home, he had joy beyond joy and he killed the fat calf and they had a party and the whole, a whole town came. How cool is it? They ate a fat calf during a famine. That calf was fat because daddy had something prepared for it beforehand, but he said, this is more important than that. This brings me far more joy. How cool is that? And that's how God feels about us. But let's not forget where this thing culminates with that older brother kicking his feet in the dirt out in the field. Darn rotten little rat. He came back and ruined my plans. I don't even like my dad. Been a slave to him all these years. Folks, in one respect, we are a slave to Christ. The word you see in the Bible often is servant. It's really slave. But it's a joy to be the slave of the perfect master. It's a joy to serve a perfectly loving God because his plan is not to mash us down and beat us up. It is to prosper us. It is to, to let us live the lives we were made for. But it takes some trust and belief on our part to actually step and do. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Pharisees and the scribes, they heard it. They did the surface level legalism of it. But they missed the, the fact that God cared about the heart, primarily. So, what do I want you to leave with today? Take some time. Get quiet with God and, and dabble in the gray areas of your heart that you can't see clearly. Father, would you help me understand why it is that I'm serving you? And if there's any area I do it selfishly or neglectfully, would you convict me of it? And would you equip me to do it more fully for your glory? Father, do I really love my younger brothers? Do I really love people like you love people? Am I concerned about, about glorifying you in my relationships or, or glorifying me? God, I truly don't know. I don't know the answer in each case. But, but would you convict me? Would you forgive me where I've fallen short? Would you, would you help me celebrate where I've glorified you? And, and, and would you help me in all areas be able to glorify you in all relationships? And, and Father, would you help me understand more fully where you find joy, what excites you, and what you're passionate about? And give me that heart, Father. Would you help me live like you made me to live? As a person who can truly celebrate, who can truly laugh, who truly knows joy, and can go out into the world and they can see this contagious joy, this contagious laughter, and say, how do I get a piece of that? And we can tell them, but God, would you do it in a way where I don't deprive myself of areas where it's okay for me to watch, laugh, and be a part, but in areas where I'm not mature enough to handle it? Let me know that. See, I think that was my problem with the Kings of Comedy. I wasn't mature enough to handle it. Now I'm not really interested in it. God has to show us those areas each for ourselves, though. And then as we go through life this way, as we taste and see that the Lord is good, folks, I can make you this, this promise, this guarantee. You will have no regrets when you walk in obedience to God. You won't. It might not look great for, for a, a little bit, 
It might not look awesome for a minute. There, there's a story in the news now of a, a guy in Iran. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, he came to faith. He's a pastor in Iran, and, and they're going to kill him, most likely. I don't imagine that he, in, in a temporal, in a, in a world-time-focused sense, is like, oh, yeah, get to die. But in an eternal perspective, he's not in a bad spot. You see, nothing's going to happen to him unless God allows it. And if God allows it, I guarantee you, the moment he transitions and goes through death to eternal life, he's not going to be giving God a lip. What were you thinking? How did you let this? He's going to say, whoa. Because now we all see dimly. But then we'll see clearly. But you've got to trust him. Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to let him show you how he wants you to live? Are you willing to let him uncover the wool-covered areas of our motivations, our desires, and where we find joy? And replace it with what he wants. It's a question we all answer. It's a question we all have to answer. It's a question that dramatically affects how we mature in our faith. And how fruitfully we're used by God. But it starts by understanding. We all do have a deceitful heart. Which has begun the process of being healed through the blood of Christ. Which is healed through the blood of Christ. And which is in preparation for an eternity. With heart disease being completely cured. Let's pray. Father, I thank, you for, I thank you for this story. Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you, re- you recorded this for us for all time. Uh, what an incredible truth. God, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would, would teach us these truths more fully. That there would have been seeds that were planted into the soil of our heart that would grow into a bountiful, uh, fruit-bearing tree. With the fruit hanging so low, it would just be unmissable and unmistakable to all, and and that people would be attracted to that fruit by your drawing. God, help us more fully understand what sin really is, why it is so grotesque, and how unfathomable it is that you've forgiven us completely, not by what we do, but by what you have done. God, help us more fully understand what it means to be robed, ringed, and shooed, Help us to more fully understand how you think of us, how significant we truly are, how loved we are, and how perfectly cared for we will be by you. And God, please shine the light so brightly in our hearts that there would be no darkness left in any corner. Help us to not become like the older brother. Help us to not seek to manipulate for personal gain, but be so so enamored by you, by what you have done for us, that all we can do is seek to serve you fully, faithfully, completely. And as we do, God, and as we persevere and endure, I pray that you would allow us to endure through your strength and power, that you would give us a holy patience, that you would keep us on the path that you place us on, and that you would allow us to see you working in and through us in amazing, amazing ways. Father, there are many younger brothers in our lives. We pray that you would give us a heart like yours towards them, that you would give us a passion to go out and tell them how much you love them, what you have done for them, and show them how our life is different by what you have done for us. I pray that you would guide us in the process, that we would not seek to manipulate the process, but we would go where you have sent us, in the manner you have sent us, and speak the words you will give us. But God, please, just like this younger son came home as he came to his senses, I pray that you would bring many to their senses, even through us, 
that there would be many parties in heaven of another sinner coming to faith. And we would rejoice right alongside you, God, as we see that happen. Father, thank you for the fact that you are perfect, that you are holy, and that you have invited us into your work as we now live an eternal life, an eternal relationship with you, that from this day and forevermore will only get better and better and better as we see more clearly day by day. We pray all these things in the precious and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ through we have been forgiven and adopted for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.